Good morning, everybody, and great to see you. Thanks for coming and spending your morning here at East Brainerd. We hope that it's been a good weekend for everybody. It has been hot, hot, hot. So I thought we'd have a lesson today about where you go if you don't go to heaven. Uh, since that's on everybody's mind, right? Um, actually, no, that's not what we're going to do. We, we have all month been discussing the power of one. The power of one person, the power of one ministry, the power of one church, doing what you can with what you have for the benefit of one more. And I hope that as we have gone through and highlighted different, different truths from Scripture and different stories from our own ministries here, a part of our East Brainerd Church family, I hope that you have been convicted that what you do in the name of Jesus Christ matters. What you do matters. And it matters, matters a lot. Now, now I know that, I know that due to the amount of pain and sorrow and, and injustice and loneliness in our society, that it, that it can be easy just to kind of look around and, and, and then we kind of see what's taking place and we begin to ask ourselves, does it matter? I, I mean, does it really does it really matter? Because after all, what good is my meager service in the grand scheme of things? There are just so many people. There are so many hurting people. There are so many hungry people. There are so many, it just seems, hopeless people. And so, does the little that I do actually matter? And what we've been trying to get across We've been trying to, to come to terms with is this whole idea that it matters to each one. Each one that you feed or, or each one that you clothe, each, each one that you teach, each one that you accept, each one that you forgive, each one that you mentor, each one that you love. You know, it matters to each child who receives a small blue bag of food. It matters. And it matters to each prisoner who receives just a short letter of correspondence. It matters. And it matters to each person who is reminded that, that God does not abandon us just because we, we miss the target, just because we, we do not live up to the expectations. It's the power of one. It's the power of one person and one ministry and one church doing what you can with what you have in the name of the one God who is able to do more than we could ever ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. It matters. And so I hope that as we're going out of the summer, we're coming into the fall, I promise, is going to get cooler the leaves are going to begin to change, and, and the year is just going to continue to roll along. I promise that you're going to have more and more opportunities. You're going to have more and more opportunities to see the one and to, to do something. And, and I want you to know that, yes, even that little thing that you do, even that small cup of water, even that small gesture, that it matters because of the one that is working through you. And so as we wrap up this series, I, I want to walk you through one more event in the life of Jesus where, where one unlikely and unnamed individual forever changed the lives of those who are around him. You know, sometimes when we read through Scripture, we get focused on names. We focus in on those. And, and we know the stories of people like Peter and Mary. 
We know the story of John the washing man or, or the baptizer. We can talk about Nicodemus. We can share about Zacchaeus, the wee little man. But more often than not, it's the unnamed men and women throughout the stories of Scripture that, that we really relate to the most. It's the unnamed woman caught, we are told, in adultery that's forgiven by Jesus. It's the unnamed lame man carried by unnamed friends that's healed by Jesus. These are the stories that speak deep to our heart. These and others like them where it's not someone where we can memorize their name, but we know the change that was brought when they came in the contact with Jesus and so in this series, we have watched how an unnamed boy witnessed Jesus use his meager meal to feed thousands, and how Jesus refused to allow an unnamed woman to go unnoticed. We've seen how the faith of an unnamed centurion amazed Jesus. And each story and each person is a reminder of the power of one and it's a reminder to us of the fact that, you know what, the world doesn't have to know your name in order for God to use your life. Isn't that a good thing? Aren't you glad about that, that, that everybody doesn't have to know who you are for, for God to look and say, I know exactly who you are, and I know where you are, and I know exactly how I am going to use you. The world doesn't have to know your name for Jesus to use your life. And like others in this series that we have been in, we're not told the name of the man whom we are going to meet today. We're only told his condition. So we're going to begin in Mark chapter 5. If you want to open up your Bibles, I encourage you to do so. We're going to, uh, to look at what is a, a lengthy text this morning. So Mark chapter 5, either in your Bibles or on your phone, whatever you like to use. Jesus and his disciples have crossed the Sea of Galilee, and they've arrived in an area known as the Decapolis or the ten cities. It was a region, an area of, of ten cities that had declared in some ways kind of allegiance to one another. There were these city-states that existed there in that Palestine area. And they were known for their Hellenistic and Greek culture. That they were not Hebrew areas. These were Greek people. This was foreign territory for a Jewish rabbi and his apprentices. I mean, why were they even going there is a question that maybe those who initially would have read these stories as Mark was disseminating this information, people would have said, why, why did they go there? It's a great question. In fact, it's probably a question that those who were with Jesus that day were asking. After all, when you read through the story, and it's also in Matthew's gospel, when you read through there, you find that they almost drowned the previous night because of a storm that came up that Matthew says was like a seismic event that took place there on the water. And you need to know that the Jews had a long-held superstition about the angry Sea of Galilee, and some believe that its depths to be the entrance of a never-ending abyss. And so they had risked their lives to cross over to this place. But why? It was Gentile territory. And what or who could actually be worth all of this trouble? Now, if you ever wanted to go somewhere and take other people with you, and you were excited about going, you were passionate about it even, but those who were with you were kind of like, eh. Or maybe the ones that were with you were like, we do not want to be here. 
Maybe it was a new restaurant that you wanted to uh, take your family to. Or maybe you were like me and you thought a great trip to SeaWorld would be awesome for your young children. Because you remembered when you were kids what it was like to perhaps go to SeaWorld and, and you saw that seal and otter show and it was great and, and you remembered Shamu and all of the other aquatic creatures that were there on that campus and maybe like myself you thought when your kids reached a certain age that you would take them and you would get them all fired up and let's go to SeaWorld and Do you know that SeaWorld is also in the same city that Disney World is in, by the way? You know that, right? All right, so, so we're telling our kids, hey, we're going to be in Orlando. Orlando, great, Disney, yes, and SeaWorld. It's going to be great. And the kids were like, uh, Mickey going to be there? No, Mickey will not be at, uh, at SeaWorld. How about Goofy? Goofy will not be at SeaWorld. But we're going to go to SeaWorld. And we did. We go to SeaWorld, and... Of course, we walk in and we get one of those little maps, and on the maps it lists all the different things that you can go and see and all the different times, right? Well, I'm looking, wanting to see when is the, when is the time for that aquatic show where Shabu is going to be the highlight, and so I see the time, I'm like, come on guys, we've got to hurry. You, remember, you know what this is like, you're in an amusement park and, and you see the time, it's like, come on guys, we've got to go, and all of a sudden, everything that your child sees, they want to stop and touch, Right? They want to stop and touch here. They want to see that. And you're like, come on, we got to go. We don't want to be late. Come on, this is going to be great. You're going to love this. But I want to stay here. I don't care what you want. I love you in the name of the Lord. But I don't care what you want. I want you to come with me. We get to this large pavilion area. There's seats everywhere. Nice covered canopy with this huge aquatic pool. And you can look around and you can see that there are different places that you can go and, and sit. Well, of course, when you go to the Shamu show, you have to sit where? In the splash zone, right? I mean, that's, that's just what you do, especially if it's the first time going. There, you cannot really say you've been to SeaWorld if you haven't gotten soaked by one of the creatures that's there. And so I am taking the kids, and we, we, we go up this ramp and take the turn to, to walk south down the stairs and get close to that aquatic area while my wonderful spouse and mother of my kids decides to take a left turn and go north. And she begins to make her way up to the very top, it seemed to me, of the pavilion area. Well, of course, the kids are asking, where's mommy? Why isn't mommy coming with us? Well, mommy likes to look at things from on high. She, she enjoys getting bird's eye view. She, she wants, but, but for us, I want you to be able to get closer, to be able to experience this up close. And, and so I take the kids. I've got one in each hand. We walk down. We find our seats. I'm just glad they cannot read the big sign that says, warning, you are sitting in the splash zone. And so we sit down, and we're getting comfortable. They begin to play some music. Different instructions begin to come across the loudspeaker. And then Emily looks up to me and says, Dad, why are people wearing plastic jackets? I'm like, well, people are cold, sweetie. It's, um, you know, they're from, they're from way down south, and, and they've come up here to Orlando, and it's just a lot cooler up here for them. And, and so they put the jackets on, and um, so then I begin to say, okay, look, we, we, might, get, we might get a little wet while, while we're sitting down here, right? 
Well, then that begins the calls of, I want to go sit with mom. No, we can't go sit with mom. We're, we're going to stay right here. Emily says, no, I, I want to go sit with mom. And she's turning around, looking up, and, and, and there's Tanya up at the top, waving, <laughs> right? Hey, how are you? And so I was like, no, turn around, sit down. You're not going to go sit with mom. Well, now Micah, who's on the other side of me, he's been listening to everything his big sister's been saying, and so now he's going, I want to go sit with mom. No, son, you, we're not going to go sit with mom. We're, we're, we're going to stay right here, going to stay with dad. It's going to be this great event. It's going to be this great experience. You're, you're going to love it. Oh, look, the music is getting a little louder. I think something's about to happen. And Emily's like, I, I don't like this, dad. I don't like this. I, I don't want to get wet. I want to go sit with mom. Like, no, you're going to be staying here, right? Mike is saying, I want to go with mom. You cannot go. I look back over at Emily, and she has gotten down out of her seat, crawled underneath the chair. She is underneath the chair, and I'm going, sweetheart, you got to get up. We can't be underneath, underneath the chair, okay? You're going to miss everything that's happening. Oh, look, the music's getting louder. I think something's about to happen. Come on, I need you to get up. I turn around, and Micah is now underneath his chair. I've got the only two kids in the splash zone that are underneath their chairs, okay? They're underneath their chairs, and I'm trying to pull them out, and I'm looking back behind me, and Tanya's just waving, hey, <laughs> How are you? And it's like, guys, it's about to start. You're going to miss it. Here it comes. Come on, get up out of your chair. And of course, I'm also having to apologize to all the other families that are sitting around that, oh, I'm sorry that, that we're all being really loud and saying, I want to go sit with mom. And, you know, Shamu comes out. Shamu comes out and makes one lap around the pool. And, and I'm, I'm, I'm getting the kids. And I'm, at this point in time, I am pulling them, literally trying to yank them out from underneath their seat because I'm like, you guys are missing it. You're not going to see what's going to happen. You're going to miss it. And about the time I have grabbed onto them, pulled them so that they are no longer under the seat. They're not in the seat, but they're not at least under the seat. Up comes Shamu, down into the water. Water goes everywhere, comes all over me, comes all over the kids. And then you hear, it's salt water! My eyes! My eyes! Now I have two children who are screaming for their mother, right? I look like the worst dad ever. People are turning around going, why don't they just go sit with mom? You know, why, where, where is your mother? Where is, I will take you to your mother, child, if, if you'll just show me. And they are just going on and on. We've got water all over us. We, we're crying. There's salt in our eyes. We leave. We leave. We get out of the pavilion area. And what do they have waiting for you when you leave these different events? A gift shop. Right? There's a gift shop. And there in the gift shop, there are stuffed animals. Right? Most of them stuffed images of Shamu. Which both of my children declared at once, I want a Shamu. No. No, you're not getting a Shamu. You know why you're not getting a Shamu? Because you ruined it for everybody. Everybody meaning your dad. I wanted to see it. I wanted to enjoy it. I wanted to get the experience. I wanted to be able to share it with my kids. But they didn't want it. They didn't want to be there. They wanted to be with their mom up high, looking out over everything. Oh, but now, now that everything was, was over, now we'll have a good time. Now we'll enjoy it. Let's look at our text, Mark chapter 5. When Jesus climbed out of the boat, a man possessed by an evil spirit 
came out from the tombs to meet him. The man lived in the burial caves and could no longer be restrained with a chain. Whenever he was put into the chains and shackles, as he often was, he snapped the chains from his wrist and smashed the shackles. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Day and night he wandered among the burial caves and in the hills, howling and cutting himself with sharp stones. Now it's important to understand that the Greek worldview was human centered. The Greeks valued the human form. The, the Greeks valued anything that could be thought by the human mind. And they valued accomplishment. They valued appearance. They valued accumulation. And they assigned value based on a person's status. So here we are in a heavily Greek-influenced area, an area that exalted the affluent and pushed out the marginalized. And here comes this man who is naked, he has no name or title, a man who has been finding shelter in the burial caves. He is violent, he is disfigured, he is out of his ever-loving mind, and no one could be worth less than this man in this society. Let's keep reading. When Jesus was some distance away, the man saw him, ran to meet him, bowed low before him. With a shriek, he screamed, Why are you interfering with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? In the name of God, I beg you, don't torture me. And Mark gives the parenthetical, for Jesus had already said to the Spirit, Come out of the man, you evil spirit. Then Jesus demanded, What is your name? And he replied, My name is Legion, because there are many of us inside this man. Then the evil spirits begged him again and again not to send them to some distant place. Well, there happened to be a large herd of pigs feeding on the hillside nearby. Send us into those pigs, the spirits begged. Let us enter them. And Jesus gave them permission. The evil spirits came out of the man, entered the pigs, and the entire herd of about 2,000 pigs plunged down the steep hillside into the lake and drowned in the water. The herdsmen fled to the nearby town in the surrounding countryside, spreading the news as they ran. People rushed out to see what had happened, and a crowd soon gathered around Jesus, and they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons, and he was sitting there fully clothed and perfectly sane. And I would add, probably for the first time in a long time, the man was actually in full control of his mind. He could think, and there was no rage. There was no fear. There was no torment. There was just, well, there was just peace. He actually wanted to keep his clothes on. But the most wonderful thing of all was this sense of cleanness. His soul was clean. And how long had it been? I mean, he couldn't even remember. Can you imagine the feeling of utter exuberance that this man must have been feeling finally to be human fully again? And it was all because of this person that the demons called the son of the most high God. In fact, he had never felt terror like what flowed through him when Legion saw Jesus get out of that boat. But now that fear was gone. 
And when he looked at Jesus, he didn't see an enemy. He actually saw someone who was a friend. But it wasn't the case for the people who lived in that region. When they saw Jesus, Mark says that they were all afraid and that the crowd began pleading with Jesus to go away and leave them alone. You know, for years this tomb dweller had terrorized the people and now there was someone more mightier than the tomb dweller that was there on their shore. I mean, they couldn't even control this naked guy that, that lived there in the cemetery. How were they going to control Jesus? They were no longer afraid of the man. They were afraid of Jesus. And so they were like, please leave us alone. And, and whatever voodoo it is that you do, do it somewhere else. And so Jesus does something that's very surprising. He actually gets back in the boat. He, he gets back in the boat and prepares to leave. Now I want you to think about this. He, he, had, he had wanted his disciples to come to this place. He had wanted to bring them to this moment. And they had gone through this seismic event. They had almost lost their lives. And they got there to the other shore. And all Jesus does is give one man back his life. There was no sermon on a mount. There was no feeding of multitudes. There was no healing of all the sick and dying. There was only one encounter with one unnamed, crazy, haunted Gentile. And then Jesus turns to leave. And I think it's important that we take note that Jesus never forces himself on anyone. And if you don't want him around, he will honor your request. Disciples had to be thinking, wait a minute, we, we, came, we came all this way for, for this? I mean, they hadn't even had time to get out of the boat. You know, read the different stories. You never see where it says the disciples got out of the boat and put their feet in unclean territory. I think they were hesitant to do so. This was Gentile territory. This was a place that did not hold their worldview. This was an area that was filled with people and things that according to their theology were unclean. They were hiding underneath their seats, right? Jesus is saying, come on, hey, I got, you got to meet somebody. This, this is going to be really amazing. I want you to be able to see what's going to happen. And they're, they're quivering. The first person to greet Jesus was a man in violation of the teachings of Moses. Read Numbers chapter 5. No one in the Jewish world was more unclean than the screaming naked guy who came running out of the cemetery. He even looked worse than this guy right here. Yeah, yeah, he did. And just think, I paid somebody to do that. You know, sometimes when you turn, again, when you turn 50, you get Corvettes. Other times, you just get a facelift. Let's just go ahead and take that off, all right? <laughs> they may not have understood... They may not have understood, but I'm happy, or I'm sure they were happy that they set sail. And here's what happens next. Here's what I want you to focus on. Focus in on this, guys. It says, as Jesus was getting back into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. Begged to go. I mean, it makes sense, doesn't it? I mean, Jesus, after all that you've done for me, please take me with you. Get me out of this place. Because everything that I see here is just a reminder of who I have been. He wants to leave his past circumstances. He wants to leave his, his past life. He wants to begin things and start afresh. He, he wants to go with Jesus. I mean, who else is going to be a better disciple for Jesus than this guy, right? 
He wants to be with Jesus, but look what Jesus says. Look back at verse 19. Jesus says, no. Jesus says, you can't go with me. You go home to your family. Who knows how long it had been since he had done that. Go home to your family and you tell them everything the Lord has done for you and how merciful he has been. Jesus told this man to stay. Stay in the place where he had known demons and stay in the place where he had known chains and tombs. Stay in the place where he had known self-mutilation and public humiliation. Stay in the place where he had known abuse and loneliness and suicidal torment. Stay because it was there that the grace of God in his life would shine the brightest. And so it says that the man started off. He started off to visit the ten towns of that region. He started off to visit the ten towns and began to proclaim the great things that Jesus had done for him. And it says that everyone was amazed at what he told them. The power of one. You know, it's about this time each week that, that we kind of stop and we pull out a couple of, of chairs and we've been inviting different people who are a part of different ministries here at East Brainerd to, to come and just share a little bit about what is taking place within, within their ministry, within, within their life. And I'm so thankful of individuals like Janice Robertson and I'm grateful for George McCleskey and Angie Jarabati, for Kevin Lee who was here with us uh, last week, for sharing just a little small part of their, of their ministry story. And I hope that as they have shared over these last few weeks, and, and if you haven't been able to be here with us, go back online at eastbrainerchurch.org or pull up our podcast and, and just listen to those lessons and listen to, listen to the individuals share about what God has been doing in their ministry because it will reinforce the truth that what you do in the name of Jesus Christ matters. It matters. However, this week, I'm not going to invite anyone I'm not inviting anybody to come up here and join me. This chair that, that is here beside me, it, it represents you. All of you, actually. Each and every one of us. Even those who are watching us online right now. This chair represents you and what it is that you are doing or what it is that you could do in the name of, in the name of Jesus. You know, sometimes we hear stories like the ones we've heard the last few weeks, and we hear about the different ministries and the different impact and, and all the different things that are being done, and we begin to compare our kingdom service to, to others. And well, we, we begin to compare that, and, and then we just start thinking, well, my ministry really doesn't measure up to what some others are doing. I mean, in my service, I don't, I don't feed thousands of people. And, well, I've, I've never been in prison. And I've never thought about using ancient weapons as tools to share the gospel. 
Now, I, I would love to have some type of, of really cool outreach. I mean, that's, that's what we're sitting here thinking. Man, it'd be really great if there was something really cool that I, that I could do in the, in the name of God for Jesus and for, and for the kingdom. Some amazing story that I could come up on stage and share of how God was doing something, anything, through me. We'd like to be on that boat with the other disciples, sailing around with Jesus and and going off to do some really cool things with him. But, but I'm afraid we sit here and we think, what I do just really doesn't matter. Because I haven't gone to a foreign culture and I haven't adopted a lot of children and I haven't collected socks and shoes for the homeless and I just don't really think that what I do matters. Friends, I want you to understand that in God's economy, usefulness in the kingdom of God is not measured by the scale of your service, but by your willingness to serve. Can you take a picture of that or something if you want to, just just as a reminder for yourself? You see, what you do, no matter how big or how small, When you do it in the name of Jesus Christ, it matters. And and I want you to consider that perhaps your ministry, that perhaps the most important thing that you can do right here, right now, in this season of your life, is to stay where you are and proclaim the great things that Jesus has done for you. That's no small task. Can, Can you do that with your life? Can can you see yourself as someone who stays and as someone who shares? Can you talk about Jesus in your home, with your family? That's where Jesus told this man to go first, right? He said, I want you to go home. I want you to go home to, to a group of people who have known you to be different than what you are now, and I want you to tell them the good things that Jesus has done for you. Can you talk to people within your home and within your family and and, and can you talk with them how about, you know what? The, the anger that you have seen in me is, is not going to be here any longer. The language that you have heard me use is not going to be used any longer. The, the, the focus, the materialism, the, the, the pursuits that I've had in my life, that they're not going to be first and foremost in my life anymore because that place is going to be held for God and for God alone. Can you go home and tell people about Jesus? Or can you go talk to your team, whether it be at work or, or, or at school? Can, can, can you be known as the person within your space? Can you be known as that person on your team, that person that, you know what, I know that they are a follower and a believer of Jesus Christ. And I know that if I need someone to pray for me, I'm going to go to her. And I know that if I need someone to, to call, I'm going to go to him. And I know that if there's somebody that I need to lift me up and to encourage me and to keep me focused on Jesus, I'm going to go and I'm going to sit down with them because Jesus has made a change in their life. They've told me about it. Or how about the classroom? Some of the scariest places to truly stand up for God in the hallways of schools and universities. 
Because for our younger population, it is that time where you want to be accepted and you, and you want to be looked at in a favorable way and you want to be able to have friends and, and, and you want to be able to be invited to the parties and you want to be able to, to be a part of that group that's called the in-group, whatever the in-group is. And, and so the temptation is there that in order to be part of that group, then I have to be silent about the fact that I am a part of Team Jesus. But can you be the one that stays and shares? Can, can you be the one that, that, even though, that even though you do it differently, others around you still say, you know what? I know what he stands for. I know the kind of person that she is. Because let me tell you, everybody else shares on social media, and it's not about Jesus. But can you be the person that decides that, that you're going to use social media as a tool for God? And you're going to be able to, to reach people that maybe you wouldn't be able just, just to reach right here in, in this area, but others because of all of your friends and all the connections that you have, different things that you are going to write and say about God and verses that you are going to post and prayers that you are going to type out. These things are going to be shared and these things are going to influence other people all because you stayed and you shared. And I know that talking to a coworker over coffee about how Jesus Christ and, and his salvation has changed your life may never make the news. And you may never be asked to come up on a stage and, and sit and talk about the way in which you ministered to a, an aging family member or someone in your family who was hurting and you comforted it and you loved them. You may never have that opportunity. In fact, the the impact of you speaking the name of Jesus might never be known until Jesus returns. And Jesus left the region of the ten cities that day, but I want you to understand something. He, he left that region. He went back, he got on the boat, and he went to the other side of the lake. But you need to know something. Jesus went back to that area later on in his ministry. Now, I don't know how long it took. In your Bibles, it's two chapters, okay? You go from Mark chapter 5 to, to Mark chapter 7. I'm not for sure how long it was that he stayed away. But, but he went back, and, and Mark will tell us about a specific thing that he was asked and a specific thing that happened. Matthew, he gives a more general view, and I want to use his telling of the story here. Because later, when Jesus went back, and when he returned to the Decapolis, here's what happened because this time it says a vast crowd brought to him people who were lame, blind, crippled, those who couldn't speak, and many others. They laid them before Jesus, and it says that, that he healed them all. The crowd was amazed. Those who hadn't been able to speak were talking. The crippled were made well. The lame were walking, and the blind could see again. And notice this, and they praised the God of Israel. Guys, don't miss this. This was a region known for its humanistic worldview. That this was a, a region whose pagan practices reminded the Jews who lived on the other side of the lake, they reminded the Jews of the ancient Canaanites. This was the area where previously when Jesus, Jesus was there, the people begged him to leave. They said, we don't want whatever power it is that you are bringing. We want you to go. Leave us. Get back on the boat. The man begged, please take me with you. Don't leave me here with these people. And now, when Jesus returns, they're coming begging him again. But this time, they're begging him, please, give us that power. Please, heal my son. 
please do something for my wife. I've got a friend here, and, and I don't know what, what, what to do, and, but I know that you know. And they praised the God of Israel. Guys, how did this happen? How, how did this change take place? I don't think it is a far stretch for us to say that it is because of the testimony of one unnamed man who Jesus said, no, instead of going with me, you stay and you share. We never hear about him again, but we see the results of the conversations. And when Jesus returned, the impact of this one voice was seen. And I believe the same is true for us. Guys, we will not know the full impact of our service to God until the day that Jesus returns. We're not going to know. But on that day, individuals known to us and unknown to us will praise God because you stayed and shared. There will be people who are going to come up to you and they're going to wrap their arms in the new heavenly body and they are going to praise the God of Israel because of you. Because of what you did. Because of what you shared. Because you stayed and shared. Because you stayed and served. Because you stayed and sacrificed. All in the name of Jesus. And all the time you were here, you thought, well, my, my work doesn't matter. And, and my ministry, it's so small. And, and what I say, does it really have any kind of impact? And, and where I go and what I do, does it matter? And there's coming a day where everyone is going to learn that what you did extremely mattered. Because you brought people to Jesus. He brought people to Jesus. You see, I believe that Jesus first went to the region of the ten cities for a very specific purpose. He went for one. One person. One person that was going to come to him running out of the tombs. One person who needed to be freed. One person that he knew would be able to speak his name in that space. And I believe that he's called each of us to do the same. See, we oftentimes talk about Jesus dying for the world. And we, we love to quote the Gospel of John, for God so loved the world. And it causes us to have good feelings. And we think about everybody and everywhere. But I would love for you to be more specific. And I would love for you to be able to understand that Jesus died and he came for you. For you because he knew that if you stayed in your space that, that if you just 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 went as you went around and if you just went and told people what he had done for you others would respond to him see I don't want you to be afraid to to do something small in the name of Jesus I want you to declare what God has done for you I think that we are all being sent to other tomb people. We're sent to other tomb people because they also need to be set free. And so I just wonder, what is it that God wants to do through you that you right now could not possibly imagine? You might share God's goodness with many. You might share God's goodness with only a few. But the main thing is, that you share, 
And one day, one day we will all know the power of one person, one ministry, one church, the power of one Savior. Why don't we give him praise this morning? Why don't we give that one awesome Savior praise who not only cast out the demons centuries ago, but who continues to cast out the demons in our lives. And while we are praising, if you would like to come before this family in any way to, to just ask for, for prayers for your personal condition, if you want to, to run to Jesus this morning, we want to give you the opportunity to do that. If you'd like to be baptized into Christ and have your sins washed away to, to begin this, this new life with God and to say, I'm ready to go, I'm ready, I'm ready to stay, I'm ready to share, maybe you just need to have some time alone with someone to talk about something that is very personal and maybe it's very private for you, but you need someone to pray with you and talk to God with you. Our prayer room is located in our lobby just behind the doors that are behind you. I would ask that you go there and one of our elders, one of our shepherds, one of our pastors will be there. We'd love to have some private time with you. But we're going to stand and we're going to praise the God that, that continues to do immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine. And so I ask that you sing full throat. I ask that you sing with passion and with vigor because either you have been the man who was healed or you need to be. Let's stand and give him praise.